1: Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray and I am your host. And I'm here with Mark Griffith, our co-host and executive producer. And we want to thank everybody for coming in and joining us uh, at the beginning of your weekend. We want to thank everyone who uh, has been visiting our website. Wow, we have had, I tell you, it's just incredible. Um, And, you know, we have almost 1,500 likes on our Facebook page and we're so excited about that. And really, it's just the way we plug in. Everybody's plugging in through the social platforms and we're absolutely there. Let me tell you what those are really quick facebook.com slash housing hour. And also if you want to find us on Twitter, it is at the housing hour is our Twitter handle. Um, so locate us there, plug in with us. Um, and then also the I tell you, it's incredible. The Google analytics are, are just, Google's calling us, telling us that we're going to have to start charging for it. They're
2: saying, slow down,
1: slow down. (laughs) So it's great, though. So thehousinghour.com, you're obviously, you're able to listen to this show live, and then you'll also be able to uh, pass this show on to your friends and family. And speaking of that, this is a very important show that we're having today, um, and we're continuing in the series. Really, it kind of has multiple series uh, that it could actually go in. Um, Protect your family, energy efficiency, I think it could be. Uh, kind of place in either of those. Um, but I think the first thing that we want to do is introduce our guest and we have, um, in the pronunciation, why don't you go ahead and introduce her for, I don't mess up the pronunciation.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) We have with us today, Maggie Kurth Baker, and she is a, uh, just an expert writer. She's written a book. Uh, when the utilities uh, lights go out mm-hmm. um, and we just have an ex- before the lights go out. is actually mm-hmm. the book's name. We're going to have that up on, on our website. Mm-hmm. And she also is uh, writes for the New York times. She has an article mm-hmm. that she posts there. And also she's a blogger and writer for boing, boing.net boing, and, boing, boing. All right. I think that's correct. Isn't that right, Maggie?
3: That's all correct. All, all
2: right. right. Well, thank you for coming in and joining
1: us. And, um, I tell you, you know this has been one of our, I think myself, my most passionate series that I've put most energy in. I know that Mark has and, and Maggie, that is about energy efficiency. And I know that there's much that goes into that, that kind of thought and what did it means what does it mean to be energy efficient? What does that exactly look like? you know and, and we've really tried to explore that. And first of all, why don't you, if you could, because you you really, I watched your C-SPAN video and it was extraordinary how you're able to kind of frame things and tell a story. If you could tell us just why you wrote this book, why are you so passionate about this? Why don't we start from that point?
3: Well, uh, this is also kind of declaring my biases a little bit, I guess. But um, back in 2006, my husband, who's an engineer, started working for a company that does energy efficiency analysis for buildings. Mm. So what he does is figure out how to make buildings as energy efficient as possible for the least amount of money. And he started coming home and just getting really frustrated and talking to me about these interactions he had with client with his clients who were, you know, people who owned buildings, uh, politicians about the fact that they didn't seem to understand how electricity worked, that there was all this big disconnect between what he, as an energy expert, knew and what the people who actually had to make decisions about energy knew. And I, the more I kind of came to understand that gap, the more important that I thought it was. And I really sat down to write the book to sort of help bridge that disconnect between the people who know all of this stuff but aren't necessarily the best at explaining it and you and me and you know people who own commercial buildings and people who run universities and politicians who actually sit there and make the decisions about energy use but don't necessarily know any of the information that we need to make those decisions well
1: and i think there is a disconnect all, not only there and I, I think that this is goes along the same lines is that the terminology i think we need a separate like dictionary for for home energy and energy efficiency words because people use these these words, and sometimes people just don't understand them. And like your husband, that's probably one of the things that he has um, skillfully kind of uh, done, which is to you gotta have to speak to people on terms that they can understand. I mean, like you mentioned, you have to be able to explain to people not just the cause, but the effect, and then what the solution is. And that's that's missing, I think.
3: I think there's kind of a problem that you get into when you have too much expertise in a subject. I mean, you can't really have too much, but you get yourself into a bubble of expertise where you forget what average people don't know because you have this stuff that's just such basic information to you that you don't even think about it necessarily on a daily basis. But the stuff that is simple to you is not simple to everybody else. And it's really easy to lose track of that when you've been immersed in a field for
4: years and years. I
1: think that over the history of electricity, why is it? And you do a very nice job framing this um, on the C-SPAN video that I that I watch. But when you look back over the history of electricity, I I don't know that, and I know my kids don't, but sometimes when we look back over a, a historic event, we don't see all of the time and effort and energy, literally and figuratively, that was put into things like electricity. It wasn't as easy as somebody flipping a switch on. And as you correctly pointed out, you know, Thomas Edison didn't even create the the light bulb. That was created many, many years later. So what is it about our society? Is it because of the people who write the textbooks? Is it the way we talk about it? How do you define
3: that? Well, I think in some ways it's not necessarily a problem with textbooks. It's just that, you know, you have a limited amount of time and you teach things in a certain way. We kind of have this the problem is you don't really expand upon it as kids get older. So you kind of get stuck with this great man of history sort of vision of how things happen where one guy has one great idea and it totally changes the world. Right. But if you go back and you look at any kind of innovation, you know, it doesn't even have to be electricity. It's lots of different things.
1: Steve Jobs. What?
3: I'm sorry.
1: I said Steve Jobs is another example of that.
3: Right. Yeah. What you find is that it's, lots of people building on one another mm-hmm. and that there's lots of failures that happen before you get the success that we all know about. So for instance, um, the light bulb, the first uh, the first time somebody actually produced light with electricity was in 1804. And it was 80 years before Thomas Edison managed to put together a light bulb that was really commercially viable, something people could actually you know, afford that lasted long enough for the price that you'd actually want to have it in your home. Mm. And then it was another 40 years after that before anybody really other than Edison made money off electricity because you had years of people trying to figure out how to run a business that requires you to spend tons of money up front to build this infrastructure. That was something we didn't have experience with at the time. And at $36 a
1: pop, literally, then not many people could afford that.
3: (laughs) No, no. I mean, it was, it was a rich man's toy for a really long time. And a lot of what made it go beyond that was the fact that you had this interplay between, you know, public investment in the form of, um, Uh, rural electrification, you had the utility companies actually going out and trying to invent things for people to use electricity for so that they could make enough money off of their infrastructure. Because at first, you know, the only thing you could do with electricity was light a light bulb, but you couldn't make enough money lighting light bulbs to recoup the cost of building the infrastructure. So the utility companies, you know, kind of funded all of this research that created things, everything from, you know, electric trolleys to curling irons. Right. And it just took public, private, individual, all these things sort of coming together to actually get electricity to the place that we know of it today. And it wasn't an easy process and it wasn't fast.
2: And Maggie, what happened? Because, you know, we have all this technology today. Looking back, everybody was building on one another's uh, inventions and successes and failures, as you pointed out in, in, the, in your book. But what happened? I mean, there was a stagnation from the time that this power grid came in to today. Everything else advanced, but it seems like the, we put the horse or the cart in front of the horse and we've got this grid that's not very
3: functional. Well, the grid, the grid has advanced over the course of the 20th century. The issue is that starting in about the late 1970s and early 80s, we stopped making as big of investments into it as we had in the past. So a lot of the technology that we used to on our grid is really vintage to a time before I was even born. Um, the transformers, those... Uh, you know, if you look out your window and you can see little cylindrical boxes attached to the electricity poles in your neighborhood. Those the average lifespan of those is forty years. The average age of those is forty two years. So oh, we have that's not, that math a, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I mean we have technology that's aging out and we're just not the utility companies just aren't spending a lot of money to replace it and upgrade it. I think that I was told recently that They spend less than 1% of revenue on research and development right now. 1%? Less than
1: 1%. That's not good. Well, you know, and I think that I'm looking out the window, and I was looking at one of those boxes just down the way there, and, you know, one of the things that has happened, I think, and you can, you know, expand on this, I think that your husband's probably dealt with it, but, you know, people, first you have the communication barrier between scientists that know what they're talking about and the person who's writing the check. But then the other piece of that is how they're incentivized to do that. So there's another barrier which exists in, I think, government, that the government maybe doesn't speak the same language as the scientists, and they think that they're just trying to pull over Al Gore on them or something. And, and you know, if you've read or watched the movie Inconvenient Truth and if you've listened to Al Gore, he's so factual with what he talks about. I think he's one of the foremost people on this subject but there just seems to be a disconnect between reality and, you know, fantasy. Why is that? Because the, the scientific community is together on this, that there is a problem with the grid. There is a problem with, you know, the the global warming. But why can't we seem to get that into the, the minds of the Dems and the Republicans and all of the people who really make decisions for us?
3: I think part of it is that it seems, you know, there's a disconnect not just with politicians, but there's also a disconnect with the people running the grid. Um, You know, when you talk about utility companies, there's a reluctance to try to, you know, make these big investments that kind of are coming up needing to be made because you run into the same problem that we had in the early 20th century where spending huge amounts of money on infrastructure development, you know, then you have to make it back and they know though that if they raise the prices of electricity their customers aren't going to be happy and they have all of this infrastructure that is paid off you know if you've ever wondered why utility companies cling to these dirty coal-fired power plants that nobody really likes it's because those have been paid off so they're just making money now they're not having to pay a mortgage on it and right. trying to get them to you know build new kinds of power plants to to upgrade the grid investments where they can where they can, but don't necessarily have to yet. It's sort of like trying to talk somebody into taking out a second mortgage on a house they already own.
1: Well, and I also equate that to, you know, somebody, you got your transmission that keeps on giving you problems, is giving you problems, but you keep going back and it's $200 here, $200 there, That's and then all of a sudden your car blows up when the best thing would have been to do is to just rebuild the transmission, <laughs> you know?
3: Right, right. I mean, it's, it's you know, we're talking about billions of dollars worth of investment and decades worth of time. But it's also one of those things where it's kind of starting to come to a head in terms of these crisis situations like you guys have talked about on your show, where those things like Superstorm Sandy that came through, those end up costing billions of dollars themselves, both in time lost, in repairs, in what you have to do to make your clients happy as a utility company. And... The more of those things that happen, the more grid upgrades we're going to start seeing because the kind of things that actually help us with energy efficiency and help us with integrating wind and solar also in a lot of cases happen to be the same kind of things that help us make a grid that's stronger and can withstand more um, you know, more natural disasters and Absolutely. more bad situations.
1: Well, we're going to continue this conversation in just one moment after we come back from this break. And I'll tell you, this has been a fascinating just first 15 minutes. So we'll be right back after these messages right here on the Housing Hour. See you next break.
2: Home ownership matters, and Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you with all your home financing needs, whether it's a purchase or refinancing. Our federally licensed loan officers are ready to help you sort through all the mortgage loan options. So call us today, 800-489-8910, or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Tennessee Mortgage License Number 109111.
5: Hi, I'm Sue Benson, owner of Title Associates. In today's real estate market, it is more important than ever to have a title company with experience, a company you can trust, and one that conducts business with you in mind. If you're buying, selling, or refinancing, our staff promises to make your closing a pleasant one. If you're a real estate agent looking for excellent customer service, give us a call. 777-1040 or visit our website at TANOX.com.
6: Cedar Springs Christian Stores has shared Christ with our community for over 36 years. They're here to help you grow in your faith. Through the month of March, their large selection of Bibles are on sale, starting at 25% off. It's the perfect gift for Easter. Known for their large selection of books, gifts, framed art, homeschool, and more, Cedar Springs has recently added a boutique featuring jewelry, active wear, scarves, accessories, and fair trade clothing. While you're there, check out their custom laser-engravable gifts A perfect idea for any occasion. Shop local and pre-order your copy of the History Channel's The Bible Epic Miniseries. On sale now. This DVD is only $39.97. And pick up a copy of Annie's Duck Dynasty DVD series and book. All on sale all this month. More than a bookstore. Visit Cedar Springs Christian Stores today, North Peters Road in West Knoxville, Clinton Highway in Powell, and on the Oak Ridge Turnpike in Oak Ridge. Cedar Springs Christian Store, sharing Christ with our community for over 36 years.
1: Hey, I'm Kevin Ray, host of The Housing Hour. Please join me and my co-host, Mark Griffith, every Saturday from 8 to 9 as we bring you the latest news from the housing market.
2: And be sure to check out our website, thehousinghour.com, for great resources on housing-related issues and links to our archived shows.
1: So join me, Kevin Ray, and Mark Griffith each week as we tackle issues of homeownership. The Housing Hour is a locally produced show presented by Mortgage
4: Investors Group. The Housing Hour, Saturdays from 8 to 9, right here on WOK. Hi, this is Bill Jones with Bill Jones Music. Throughout the year, people ask me when we're having our next big school piano sale at one of the local colleges or universities. Well, this year, we're combining all of our used pianos from schools, universities, and our own Yamaha Music School for one big sale at our main store on West Kingston Pike. This once-a-year event is going on right now through this Saturday at Bill Jones Music. With brand names you can trust, like Yamaha, to a few brands you may have never heard of, all of our used, demonstrator, and school pianos are on sale, saving you from hundreds to thousands of dollars. From baby grands to concert grands, from uprights to digitals, all are offered at tremendous savings. Most items are one-of-a-kind, so for best selection, you'll want to come early. Delivery is available as well as finance. With approved credit, and through this weekend, many items offer up to six months with no interest. Everybody seems to want a good used piano, so here's your chance to actually get a good one. Don't miss our annual school piano sale through this weekend at Bill Jones Music, West Kingston Pike, Knoxville. Great. Where is this going to come from? There's no way. How am I going to pay my mortgage?
0: First, I lose my job, and now I'm about to lose my house. What happened to the American dream? There's got to be something I can do.
7: There is. Keep My Tennessee Home has U.S. funds for struggling Tennessee homeowners. Visit Keep My Tennessee Home at keepmytnhome.org and see if you qualify today.
8: Monday morning on the Triple H Morning Show, if we win, if the Vols win, it's going to be Orange Mania. We'll talk about Mitt Romney and Rob Portman. We start at 5.30. Have a great weekend. The Halloran Hilton Hill Morning Show. Bring your own brain. Think out loud. Have some fun. News ninety 987 WOKI.
0: The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray.
1: And welcome back into the housing hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host, grateful host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our co our actually co-host and also executive producer. He he wears two hats. I do. Over there, Yes. And website administrator. I had to and, buy
2: both hats, by the way.
1: That's right. Well, quickly, because so I want to get back to Maggie, I want to tell you guys about another company that we believe very strongly in, and that is Admiral Title. Admiral Title has been around for about eight years, and they were created by uh, Phyllis Burnett and Terry Adams. And Phyllis was with Mortgage Investors Group for like 18 years prior to starting, or not quite that long, I think it was 16 years before starting Admiral And she did it with the same concepts and precepts that we started our company with. And that is that we wanted to create a company that really uh, cater to the needs of our clients and also to our real estate agents and make sure that they are taken care of 100% of the time. And they do a great job with that. And I know Mark's group uses them. Um, We really recommend them. And and I think they do an extraordinary job. If you want to call them, it's Admiral Title. And you can reach them at 865-531-6060. And give them an opportunity. So if you're a realtor out there or a lender, want to start a relationship with somebody you can trust, um, I trust them, Mark trusts them, we trust them, the housing hour trusts them, give them an opportunity. 865-531-6060. All right, we're back in here with Maggie. I'm going to turn it over to you, Mark. You had a question?
2: Yeah, this has been fantastic, Maggie. Thank you so much for coming back with us. Um, oh, you're welcome. And I have, a, I have a question. I've been doing a little research. I found a professor, I think, at the University of Minnesota, uh, Dr. Masuda, men, and what it was fascinating is uh, as we get into this segment, I w- really want to find out what we can do about all of this but specifically you mentioned some numbers early on about the cost of re everything correctly uh scrapping everything maybe rebuilding it i looked at some of his numbers and, and maybe you can help me understand some of this he was saying the blackouts have increased over the last you know 10-15 years uh, and it's cost the average 49 billion dollars a year when we have a power outage in the in the major metropolis areas when that happens and but he says the cost of redoing all of this if i'm reading these numbers right and i know that you'll know is 165 to 170 billion to redo everything are those numbers correct
3: i know i don't know for certain about the numbers but i know that mr demine is definitely one of the top experts in this and he's a good guy to to kind of trust on this sort of thing he's one of the people that's done the most research into what's wrong with our grid and what we can actually do to fix it. When I told you earlier that utility companies are spending less than 1% of their revenue on research and development right now, that's actually the person that that fact comes from. Wow. Um, The biggest thing, you kind of have to understand, first of all, how the grid works. And the biggest thing that I think helps lay people get that is understanding that to make our grid actually function and to make blackouts not happen. We have to have an almost perfect balance between electric supply and electric demand at any given second everywhere on the entire grid. And right now, the way that we maintain that balance is by having these guys in centers all across North America whose job it is to kind of do this in a really analog way. You know, they can call up utility companies and say, hey, we need your power plant to produce more electricity or less electricity. And they can call up these Electricity users usually like a large factory or something um, that are called demand response customers. And those people are paid a premium by the utility company to be on call. So when the grid controllers call them up, they can stop using electricity or use use less electricity, and the grid controllers can get that balance back into alignment.
1: This sounds like the Flintstones a little bit.
3: <laughs> it's, it is a little bit, and it's something that is you know, constantly fluctuating. When I went to visit one of these grid control centers in Texas, you could watch the board that they had there. It almost looked like a basketball, high school basketball scoreboard. And you could just see the numbers going up and down and up and down and up and down, and they're trying to keep it as level as they possibly can, as much as they possibly can. But it's not an easy thing because, you know, they have no control over demand. They have only a little bit of control really over supply. So it's just this sort of constant balancing act that they're having to do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, there are guys sitting in there on New Year's, on Christmas Eve, and trying to make all of this work.
1: And Mark mentioned before off-air, and this is literally a good way to look at it, if you recall in Christmas Vacation when Clark Griswold was trying to get his lights, although he didn't actually have it connected correctly, but when he did connect it, then they had to turn it to
2: nuclear, <laughs> nuclear power. <laughs> but they it, did a shot to right. a guy in one of those little stations who threw the switch. Right. And that's it, what she's talking it's, about.
1: I mean, it's not exactly like that, but that's a good way to look at it, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, you have to, when there are big changes in demand, those guys notice what's happening. Mm. Um, what I've been told is that if you have a power plant, say, that went offline in Arizona, people in Canada would be able to notice that that happened in less than a second.
1: In how much seconds?
3: Less than a second. Wow, that's
1: amazing. So there is. It
3: it all happens really fast. And one of the things that Masoud Amin pointed out is that the things that we use to help the grid controllers understand what's happening on the grid, those only update every 30 seconds.
1: And also, if you have excess supply, let's say, in one area, is there any? I mean, I, I think that if I understand Mark's uh, tutorial before correctly, there's nowhere really to harness or store that energy. And what happens? No, to I it?
3: mean, you can transfer it. We, we do have the ability to move electricity around the country in the national, because our grid is national. Mm-hmm. But you don't have the ability to store that. So if nobody needs it, it just you kind of just gets dumped, it just goes to waste.
1: Well, this so- kind of sounds like the ATM fees at banks if you don't meet all these certain guidelines and you don't get that money, it just goes away. That doesn't make sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because we, we don't have batteries really on our grid. Right. You know, it's we are so used to the idea that batteries are everywhere, but the kinds of batteries that you would need at this scale are so big and so expensive and not as reliable as we'd like them to be historically. So we've just never used them and we've stuck with this, you know, very kind of, Minute
2: by minute, kind of system. Mm -hmm. So, so what we're doing out here, we we keep on talking out in in the uh, environment about these silver bullets. I mean, we talk about this this solution. Mm. Maybe we found an oil reserve in Colorado that's going to be the biggest in the history of the world, or or we're talking about solar energy. So we throw all the stimulus money at solar energy companies, windmills, uh, and, and windmills. But all of these are just. Little pieces, they all contribute to the main goal of this. But if you don't have a way to capture a store on the grid, then what we're doing on the house rooftops of every home, if everybody went to this and starts producing energy, goes to net zero. And if they produce more, it goes back to the grid. It can't be stored. It seems – what's the point?
3: Mm. Well, the thing is that you just can't think of it as a silver bullet to begin with because everything that could be a really helpful solution – requires all of these other solutions to kind of fit in with it to make it work. So solar on roofs can be a really valuable resource, but it's something where having better ways of, you know, more efficiently moving electricity from one part of the country to another would be incredibly helpful and would make that work much better. We need the kind of things that you call you might call uh, smart grid technology. Something that, so right now if you have a solar panel on your roof, in some places, you can sell the electricity back into the grid, mm-hmm. but those grid controllers I told you about, they don't see that because you don't have any kind of communication with them the way that a big power plant does. Yeah. So one of the things that smart grid technology would do would be to enable you to operate the same way that a big power plant does and you know, get paid for it a lot easier, for one thing. And for another thing, make those grid controllers able to control the electricity flowing out of your house into the grid the same way they do all the other electricity. Mm. So you need all these different pieces to kind of line up, and storage is definitely a big part of that.
1: Well, and so also... I, oh, I'm sorry, um, go ahead.
3: Well, I was going to say what the, what the experts have told me is that we can get between probably between 20 and 30% of our total capacity of electricity coming from wind and solar before we're going to have to make big upgrades to the grid. And that includes things like storage.
1: Well, and also um, one of the things that Mark and I have talked about is the carbon footprint for each individual, not looking at it from a, it's like a country or even an individual company, but, even just kind of like that Michael Jackson song, you know, the man in the mirror, you know, you look at what you're doing as a family and we think about what the solution is and what it is that we can do to make it better for all of us. And I think one of the things that I think about, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm listening to all of this and, and I haven't taken as much action as I should. I mean, we've done some things, certainly Mark has done some ceiling and some, um, some inventory and some things like that. But I think this has to be a marketing strategy because If people could just look like right now, Maggie, we're sitting in this office, the TV's on, all the lights are on, there's lights everywhere. You know, we don't need all these lights on. But I think that for us as a society, is it going to take a huge blackout and just a huge disruption for us to start to get serious about this? I mean, what can we do as just Americans, as members of this earth to really push the ball forward, you know, and get that word out? What can we do?
3: Well, this is actually the really hard thing. Because, you know, obviously you can reduce your personal carbon footprint. There are lots of ways to do that. The problem is that so many of the issues that we have with this are really infrastructure issues, not individual issues. And I mean that in terms of, like, small-scale infrastructures, like just how we build houses, to big infrastructures like electricity and transportation. You know, if you think about one of the things I've learned from watching what my husband's company does is that even something as simple as you know what direction a building is oriented on its site Mm. can have a huge impact on how much energy you actually need to use in that building because it ends up determining how warm the building gets in winter and how cool it can stay in summer and if people are comfortable well they're not going to turn the air conditioning up as high as they might in a building where they're less comfortable
1: the people didn't get that memo who built our building
3: (laughs) yeah well yeah i mean that's that's one of the big one of the big deals that we have and then if you look at transportation, that's also a big infrastructure issue. I mean, I here in Minneapolis, where I live, I can walk out my front door and I can get on the number six bus, go anywhere I want to go in the city. And we have a great bicycle trail system also. So my husband and I get by with just one car. But if I were to go down to Kansas City, where most of my family is from, you know, they don't have a bus system that you can really use to just get around. And they don't have bicycle paths you can really use to get around either. So if I told them, you know, you should have less cars, you should drive less. I'd be telling them to shoot themselves in the foot. (laughs) So you can make personal decisions, but we can do a lot as a society to make those personal decisions easier and to make them more logical. And I think that that's really the place where you need to start. You know, there's only so much you can do telling people to, you know, shaking your finger at people if the systems that they live in and the systems they're a part of actively discourage them from making the decisions that are energy efficient and that are helpful for the world.
2: And what about uh, what about this method in economics? There's always a tool. It's called the carrot and the stick. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not playing by the rules, uh, you get the stick. If you uh, obey, you get the carrot. Well, they're trying to do that on a national, on a worldwide scale. Is that not? is that the solution?
3: I think, in some respects, possibly. Um, it kind of depends on how you do it. I've talked to a lot of economists. I talked to them for my book. And they actually think that there's some value in the idea of putting a price on carbon. Whether you do that as a carbon tax or tap and trade, you know, there's a lot of debate about that. But they said if you have the price on carbon, for one thing, you're actually valuing that at what it's worth to us. You know, this is a really incredibly valuable tool that we have limited amounts of. And right now, we kind of treat it like it's dirt, like there's tons of it forever and there's not. So if we have, if we value it what's actually worth to us and we value it at the costs it actually has to us on a societal level when you look at, you know, healthcare costs and things like that, then you start to have this price signal that kind of flows throughout the entire economy. It's not necessarily a carrot or stick thing. It's a way of telling you what the right decision is without you having to do tons and tons of research to know. Because I'm sure you've gone out and tried to figure out what's the most energy efficient thing I can buy, and that's kind of a pain to figure that out, right? Yeah. I and mean, you have to do a lot of research to find out. Sometimes you can't necessarily trust what you read on the internet about what is the right thing. If it's just the cheapest thing, that's easy. That's right. I can buy the cheapest thing.
1: Well, you know, and I think that one of the things that we'll have to overcome is just like in healthcare, you have to now if the healthcare companies are not spending so much on. R&D then they have to give you a certain amount of refund back. It's that carrot and stick thing I think that Mark spoke about. And also being able to just communicate this this is not all about money. And and but companies are not going to look at it that way. If they have to pay more money for a carbon for the cost of carbon, then they're going to look at it from dollar and cents and their stockholders and there's so many the the dominoes just fall from there. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I tell you we really appreciate you coming in and speaking to us today, Maggie. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. It's Maggie Kurth-Baker. Her book is Before the Lights Go Out. You can find it on Amazon. Um, You can also find it on thehousinghour.com. We're going to link that right up. And this has been just a great segment. And uh, we're going to end the show with another good segment with a a new sponsor of ours. Um, And so come back and join us. We've got a great segment with Joey and Jim Hackworth. We'll see you right here next on The Housing Hour. Hey everyone, this is Kevin Ray with the Housing Hour, and we want you guys to call Josh White at Home Harvest. Josh can build a vegetable garden in your backyard any size that you want, and that's what he does. He can help design a plan for you and your garden. Call Josh today at Home Harvest, and that's at 865 712 2745. Home Harvest, 865 712 2745.
5: I'm Sue Benson, owner of Title Associates. In today's real estate market, it is more important than ever to have a title company with experience, a company you can trust, and one that conducts business with you in mind. If you're buying, selling, or refinancing, our staff promises to make your closing a pleasant one. If you're a real estate agent looking for excellent customer service, give us a call. 777-1040 or visit our website at TANOX.com.
4: Every day, people make our community safer, stronger, and a better place to enjoy our family and friends. Hi, this is Dave Folk. News Talk 98.7 and Fleener Security Systems will recognize a special person each Tuesday in the 1 o'clock news. They'll be called Folk Heroes, and as a bonus, get two tickets to Carmike Cinemas. If you'd like to nominate a Folk Hero, email me, folk01 at gmail.com. You spell that F-O-U-L-K. News Talk 98.7, Fleener Security Systems. Salute all Folk Heroes.
7: Ever had your bank issue you a new debit, ATM, or credit card, but you didn't request one? That's probably because someone hacked the bank's computer system, and your bank is trying to stay one step ahead of the identity thieves who snatched your personal information. And that's why you need to call LifeLock now. When you call LifeLock, you can get the most comprehensive identity theft protection available. LifeLock Ultimate. Lifelock Ultimate offers 24-7 protection and is the only identity theft protection service that now monitors bank accounts for takeover fraud. So call one 800 964 1741 now. Mention Enroll 60 and get the first 60 days risk-free. If you're not happy, call Lifelock within 60 days of enrollment and you won't pay a cent. Call one 800 964 1741 one 800 964 1741 Check Lifelock.com for details. Network does not cover all transactions and scope may vary. one
8: 60, 90 days. That's a little bit too long. This is Halloran for Mortgage Investors Group. They're great. They started in 1989. It was seven people, and they said, you know what? If we're going to build something that will grow, that will have a good, solid foundation, it's got to be the right thing. You got to do the right thing. You've got to have the right people, you got to have the right product. Right price, got to do it the right way. That was the foundation. Now it's 2012. They've served over 60,000 customers, $9 billion worth of American dreams processed. They're pretty incredible. Now, here's one of the things they've noticed in the industry it's taking 60 to 90 days to close a loan. Shouldn't do that. They can get it done for you in 30 days or less. Their website is easy to remember. It's just migonline.com migonline.com you can go there this morning equal housing lender mortgage license number 109111
4: for today, look for hazy sun and clouds. It'll be warm and gusty. Highs around 73 degrees with a slight chance for a storm late in the day. From the VLT Local Aid Weather Center, I'm Chief Meteorologist David Aldridge.
2: Wake
8: up with Halloran. You can run a remote-controlled car all over Mars with a camera on it taking high def pictures. Don't tell me I can't have four bars all the time on my phone. It's Halloran Hilton Hill. There should never be dropouts. I'm going to stop it with that two-bar nonsense. News Talk 98.7
0: WOKI. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again,
1: Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray, and I'm here again with our co-host and executive producer, Mark Griffith. Thank you guys for joining us again, and um, I'll tell you what, uh, today we have our new sponsor in-house with us, and we are so excited to have them in. And let me just first frame what we're going to talk about and who this is, because a couple of months ago, I guess, I had somebody uh, that wanted to talk to me. And so these guys came into my office. One of them had a cowboy hat on. And the other one uh, should have had a hat on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 you know what? Um, it was Jim and Joey Hackworth, and um, they came in because they started a new publication, and the publication is it revolves around displaying new homes for sale um, in and around our area, um, and it really is a beautiful magazine. And that's what they were coming in to talk to me about. But you know what I found that we talked about? We talked about that, but that wasn't the first thing we talked about. We, we just got to know one another. I felt like I could really just be open with them. They're just good folks. And the name of the magazine is no- Knox Holmes Magazine, correct? And um, you might remember, actually, some time ago, because Jim's this is not his first rodeo. He had another magazine. It's my, it's my second rodeo. It's his second rodeo.
9: Or third. But
1: but he's been around for a long time. The Apartment Guide, Mark, was the first thing that he started I back remember in that 1976 one. or 8? 76. 76. The I year, used the year to I get I was, my first apartment. Really? That was Absolutely. the year I was
2: born. So something <laughs> other than me
1: was born that year. So... Then, you know, you, 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 worked on that for a while and then you created the first full color, um, realty magazine in 1986, 84, 84. Okay. Eighty four. And then you kind of milled around a little bit and started home tour in 86, right? Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. So yeah. this is Jim Hackworth and Joey. Thank you guys for coming in. First of all, and joining us. Well,
10: thanks for inviting us to be with you today, uh, you know, we we love being on the radio since okay. we've done it so many times.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, we're so thankful for you guys sponsoring our show, and we've been pushing you guys right and left, and, and we're thankful for that relationship. But first, let's talk about kind of where you came from. Um, why did you get into the publication? I, I know it's about people, but tell me a little bit, but why did you start the Apartment Guide, for instance?
10: It was an accident, Kevin. Mm. Uh, I was selling academic and athletic advertising to schools and universities. And I pulled into Columbia, South Carolina. I got my six-pack of beer and my snacks. Mm -hmm. And as I checked into the uh, motel to spend the night so I could get out and sell my ads the next day, I noticed a small, full-color, digest-sized publication on the counter. It was called The Apartment Finder. So since it was free, I picked it up. And while I was in my room, I thumbed through it, and I thought, gee, this is for people looking for apartments. This is a neat idea. So when I got back to Knoxville, I went up to the Chamber of Commerce and I asked them, I said, what do you do when somebody calls or writes to the chamber asking for apartment information? So they did me a big favor. They pulled out an eight and a half by 11 mammograph sheet with names, addresses, and phone numbers. And I thought, gee, this is great. I've got an idea. Mm. So I worked up a spec ad uh, for the front cover and I went around to the apartment management companies and I told them what I wanted to do and I showed them my sample. And I had enough people uh, take faith in me and go ahead and buy an ad that I could put out my first apartment guide for Knoxville. Mm. And from there, it just grew and grew and grew. Okay. Well, here's the question because Mm -hmm. that's it was an accident. That's the American story, though,
1: not the Mm -hmm. accident part. But um, (laughs) the American story is you have an idea Mm -hmm. and you have the tools and the know-with-all to just do it and has your dad always been like that joey has he always been, yeah
9: he's always the the drive he has is amazing mm. and uh to get out and to see people and he's a people person yeah Oh, I, yeah. and uh just like the first time we met you mm. you wasn't a stranger right that's you right you know we'd never yeah. met you before but you wasn't a stranger exactly and uh he's just he's always been a people person and he enjoys getting out and visiting and and you know it doesn't matter whether he's there on a sales call or just calling to say hello or mm-hmm. how you doing he's just He's always been friendly to everybody and he likes people. And, you well, know, well, Kevin, yeah. first
10: of all, I, I don't do sales calls. Mm-hmm. I've never made a sales call. He visits. I visit. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. I and visit. you know what? A
1: big reason I think that you're successful, and this is just me kind of looking into what you've done so far, is that you were there at the hotel and you noticed that there was an apartment finder. And you knew because you relate so well with so many people that, hey, this is something that people could use, this is something that could be helpful. And then just having the ability to take that idea. So then you went into what made you transition from apartment finding, apartment guide to the next magazine that you started. What what kind of was the
10: transition there? There was a, a small ad in the, uh, in the newspaper in 1984 under business opportunities. Mm-hmm. It was a small company out of Albany, Georgia, and it was uh, called the real estate book. <clears throat> and what they were looking for was uh, someone with publishing experience that could start a publication here in the Knoxville market. So I entered the ad. Her name was Laura Rainey, mm-hmm. and it was the Hughes family that started the chain. So I got to chatting with her and everything, and they had they had a uh, color publication. Uh, color publications were difficult to produce in the 70s and 80s, and they had a proprietary process where they could produce low-cost color publications. So I got to chatting with them, and I started, uh, started one in eighty uh, four with network communications out of uh out of georgia Mm -hmm. and from there it just grew and grew and grew and uh i guess probably around 86 or 87 i i decided i can do this on my own right so that's when i started home tour Mm -hmm. finally got a a federal trademark on it got a, a nice looking logo got it trademarked and uh and the more people i saw the more people uh I wanted to be in it. That's right. And uh, the rest is history. And the rest is history. It just grew and grew and grew. We peaked at uh, 300 pages one time. Wow. Um,
1: That's amazing. Well, Mm -hmm. and you know, it's a nice transition for you guys too, because, you know, the apartment guides, you're kind of renting and you're, you know, you're, you're doing your thing. And then now you've moved back into the home, which would be the next transition for a homeowner is now I'm going to own a home. Um, and now, now that you're back, so you, you got out of it for a while and, 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 and you had that, um, for many reasons, but the fact is though, that you're back, right? I'm
10: back. Tell me, tell me, the, tell me how it's been coming back and what you're doing now. Well, actually what happened, I sold out, uh, Back in two thousand five, mm-hmm. and of course, I had an extended uh, employment contract with them, so I could have my health insurance uh, stay in effect and everything, be able to play golf and stuff, and uh. play with my horses and uh, <laughs> and play with my old cars and whatever I wanted to do. Right, and then of course, I had a uh, what to call a non compete agreement where I couldn't go back in business again. Mm-hmm. But uh, all that's over, mm-hmm. and and what I saw, I, I saw the market starting to come back. I saw that we had more optimism about the economy. I knew the housing market was going to come back, and I went around and talked to some of my realtors. Uh, In fact, some of them invited me to their Thanksgiving uh, meals, and I went to eat with them and chatted with them. They said, why don't we do this again? Hmm. And I said, okay. So I talked with uh, Joey, my youngest son, and he said, well, let's do it. So we came up with a logo and everything, and uh, I guess the rest is history. (laughs) That's right. We're, as they say, Kevin, I'm back. That's
1: right. Absolutely. So Joey when he came to you and said, "Here's what I want to do. Here's the vision that I have." Because he's your dad and you've seen him do this over and over and over again. I bet you you were tickled to death that he wanted to include you in something like this.
9: Well, the first thing that I ask is I thought we had this out of your system, dad. Um <laughs> <laughs> you right. know, something of this undertaking, we was always a family business. And uh it was uh I grew up in his business and I was always around the office. Um somebody i ran into a realtor here a couple of months ago when uh, when we was getting ready to do our first issue and they said uh, how you like it how you like being back in it and i said it reminds it reminds me of my childhood mm. and they said how so and i said well we'd go in a real estate office with a stack full of deadline notices and flyers to put in the realtors boxes and dad say here shove these in these boxes i'm gonna go talk to somebody mm. and and you know that's what we're doing again yeah. and uh
1: who does the talking now him yeah
9: he,
1: <laughs> mostly him but but you can get a, you can, if you get a word in you actually can talk too yeah i can it's it's
9: hard with him well who's
2: taking the photos because the photos on the publication are just absolutely beautiful who's doing you, that
9: usually used to we was a full service publication in the years past and uh in years past we actually took all the photos mm. and that's something we there's no telling how many photos when I was in my teens, how many photos of homes I drove around and took myself, but it, it transitioned into where more, yeah. more realtors. We they wasn't have taking the technology. them technology. They have, it, the well, technology. they were taking their photos. And then when, when he sold out, it got to where pretty much all realtors, whether they are having it done or doing them themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we do offer that. And that's something we'll provide for our customers. Um, the February publication, we took the, the photos of the house on the cover, mm-hmm. or the, the cover shot itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that was a nice shot.
9: And, and it, it turned out it was a beautiful publication for our mm-hmm. first. It was. Now, now being that you guys are now, I
1: guess, two months in, you, you, you're you getting ready to, to publish your April
9: the, edition. It's already printed, okay. and it'll
1: be on the street Monday. It'll be on the street Monday. And so where are you guys located? Where can they go pick up a book?
9: Golly, they They're everywhere. Uh, we got them in all the Kroger stores in the areas, mm-hmm. uh, the food lines in Blunt Anderson Counties, mm-hmm. food cities, uh, any K&S distribution spot, mm-hmm. pretty Knoxville much in, in, Sentinel. In, That's no- Knoxville, yeah. Sentinel. in Knox County, uh, those uh, green boxes at the BP Ken Joes, red boxes at the Pilots. So anywhere there's a Knoxville News Sentinel, you'll find... Pretty your, much. Now, what's your alls website? TheKnoxHomes.com.
1: Nice. That's nice. Now, for those people that are out there listening, like we have a huge realtor audience right now, and if you're if you're published, if you have something in one of the other books. Give these guys an opportunity to come in and speak to you, Joey and Jim, because they're they're going to give you a little bit different flavor, I think. And and the thing I like about it is that I'm I'm be able to look at Jim and talk to him, and you know, have ideas and go back and forth. And they're just good folks. So if you're out there and you're thinking about doing something like this, and you know what, I mean, ads and, and print media is is very much alive, very very much alive. There's a lot of people that they have both going at the same time.
2: And we have the links uh, on thehousinghour.com. If you want to just go to our website, since you have it saved in your favorites, you can That's just right. click on the link and uh, go right there.
1: And then you can come into the Housing Hour and be able to interface with these folks. Tell them, Joey, how to get a hold of you. And who should they call?
2: They can either call Jim
9: at 250-2639 or they can call myself at 776-2428. Okay. And we'll put those up as well. They're up We'll have right those now. up as well. We, we have our phone numbers listed on the website. Mm-hmm. They can contact us on there. We have some email addresses listed on the website. Mm-hmm. So we're getting we're getting kind of advanced. We even started a Facebook page. Oh,
1: wow. Facebook page. Wow. I liked it. What, what's we that? had to. What's, what's that? What's, face, what's Facebook? <laughs> well, I don't know. You're my friend on there, I believe. <laughs> I am? Yeah. So all of the realtors that are out there listening this morning, and if you're a client, maybe tell your realtor, hey, I didn't see you in the Knox Homes magazine because it's a really good publication. They went from 28 pages, and what's your second edition going to be? 36. 36, so that's a huge increase, and it's only going to climb from there. So if you're out there listening right now and you're thinking about doing this, um, make an appointment. Call these guys up. Let them come in and, and show you the information and let you talk about what the future is. They have a lot of things technology-wise. They have, of course, the text for information that they're rolling out to their realtors, that our clients. They have a lot of things that they're really exploring, and I think it's going to be awesome. Mark, did you have a-
2: Yeah, I was wondering, is it just for real estate agents? Do you allow for sale by owners to advertise properties on the page just for agents?
9: We, we just allow... Commercial businesses, we we allow. A, we actually got a landscaper that's advertising with us. Mm. Um,
1: and MIG, MIGs. With and us. If you're a lender out yes. there.
9: And yeah. and and that's another thing, Kevin. We do we want to thank you because we appreciate all MIG support, mm-hmm. and uh we appreciate you believing in our product.
1: Well, oh, well, I do believe it, and I appreciate you guys giving us the opportunity. And that front inside cover is really nice, yeah. so we uh, <laughs> we we really enjoy that. Wait wait a minute, inside front cover, <laughs> inside cover, <laughs> yeah, inside cover. That's what I meant. <laughs> um, and that, I think it's I think you guys the sky's <laughs> the limit, and I'm excited about what you guys are going to do. And you make Mark maybe in the future they might have a for sale by owner unique publication but I like for everybody to know that if you're trying to sell your home you're up by yourself I promise you it's going to be very difficult I know that you think you can do it but they are the trusted advisors out there the real estate agent is going to be able to have access to the MLS system and that's very important for your ability to promote yourself so guys anyway thank you so much for coming in I appreciate you all being a sponsor and we'll absolutely make sure that you guys get plugged in with our Facebook page and our website and all of that facebook yeah that's right <laughs> jim and joey hackworth knox Holmes magazine thank you guys for coming in and guys i'll tell you what this has been a great show today and i really appreciate you guys what an outstanding interview that we had that, that was excellent. that was fascinating and I, I really i'm gonna go back and listen to it later because she is one unique person um, and guys, I'll tell you, you know, that you can go in about an hour. Landon, our awesome, excellent producer is going to have our show right up online at the available for you to listen to. And you really need to share this with your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your great grandmother, and all your friends on Facebook. So that's, Facebook? that's right. But come back next week on the housing hour. We're going to have a great show lined up right here on 98.7. See you next week, guys. If
3: you say that you are mine.
0: The end of that's the housing hour with kevin ray for today join kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not you need to know so come here to find out this program is presented by
8: mortgage investors group you've been listening to paid programming which does not reflect the views or opinions of news talk 98 7 the news and talk of east tennessee woki
4: Are you in the
3: market to purchase a new home? Many first-time homebuyers and veterans qualify for 2 or 4% down payment grants from the Tennessee Housing Development Agency. THDA offers 30-year fixed-rate mortgages insured by FHA, VA, USDA, or conventional loans. For more information, please visit our website at www.thda.org.
4: They're back! Tax credits and American Standard rebates. There's nothing better than tax credits up to $500 from Uncle Sam and rebates up to $1,600 from American Standard. Rebates are available when you purchase and install a qualifying energy-efficient air conditioning or heating system from A1 Certified Service Incorporated now until June 30th. Schedule your appointment now and call A1 Certified Service at 865-691-5088 or online at A1CertifiedService.com. Spring is just
2: around the corner. Temperature begins to warm. Plants start to bloom. And truthfully, what's more fun than planting a garden with your family and letting your kids pick out the flowers? Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you make these precious memories come true for you. Whether it's a purchase or a refinance, we have the loan to fit your needs. So call us today 800-489-8910 or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Tennessee Mortgage License Number one zero nine one. Or when we come back.